Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. Welcome to episode 23 of Arabiyat. I'm Linda Khoury. So before I get to today's episode, I have a few housekeeping updates for our listeners. I'm sad to announce that my co-host Suraya has decided to part ways with Arabiyat, at least for the time being. She's been a great partner in crime, starting up this really unique project about a year ago. But going forward, it'll be up to me to carry the torch. Um... There is no bad blood. I don't want anyone to think there's any drama behind this. This is just life is hard and we have very limited resources here. So to put on this show is very trying and it's very normal <laughs> for someone to have to sacrifice it for bigger things in their life. So we bid her farewell and maybe one day she'll be back. So this has been a great year of growth for both of us and for Arabiyats. And we haven't even scratched the surface of potential for this podcast. Um with the limited resources, it's been hard to release episodes on a consistent basis, but I will be making an effort to standardize the episodes going forward. So um, now also going forward and what would help me since, you know, I'll be doing more of the work is that I would I would really like for everybody to give me more feedback on this show. I know we have listeners. I've seen the numbers building up, but I we're not getting enough feedback. We get some and actually it's all positive. Um, but, you know, if people have ideas about other episodes for us to do or have something critical to say, I really like to hear about it because I am only one voice of the Arab world. And this is a place for us to express all a diversity of voices and to not limit our identities the way that we are limited and why this podcast was created. And so I will be continuing to do shows on culture, entertainment, lifestyle, foreign policy. But I would like to know what, you know, give me some feedback, give me some uh, shows that you're interested in doing. I would like this to continue to be a platform for Arab voices. But going forward, I'm going to be expanding our and diversifying our content by bringing non-Arabs onto the show. So the idea at first was let's just have Arabs on, let's give them a platform. And this will primarily be that kind of a platform. But I think it'll be interesting to have the news and, and the world's events, this ever so complicated world and scary world. So without further ado and my long introduction, I would like to introduce my guest for today's episode. So this episode is going to be a real treat. And this time, I mean, literally, I say that a lot, that this is going to be a treat of a show. But literally, I have treats in this studio right now <laughs> that I'm going to taste throughout this episode and describe to you. So today with me in studio is Blanche Shaheen. She's a Bay Area raised Palestinian American journalist and host of the cooking show Feast in the Middle East. We are going to talk to her about her show and her journalism and more. Blanche, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And of course, I have to have treats wherever I go. It's of kind of expected. With what That's I do now <laughs> comes with the territory. Yeah. So let's start with, you know, I, I read about your background. And before you did the show, you started your career as a journalist. Can I say two decades ago? Would that be accurate? Um, yeah, I mean, that's where when it started, but certainly it continued up until probably eight years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. So you've been doing journalism for a long time doing yeah. I've read that you did foreign policy, environmentalism, high tech industry. But in 2010, you launched this 
Awesome online unique resource, which includes a blog and a YouTube channel. It's called Blanche's Feast in the Middle East, mm-hmm. which I personally love because I just I love to cook and, and carry on the, the torch of Arab cuisine. Awesome. So wh- why did you make the switch? That's an excellent uh, question, especially since I was really into hardcore journalism in the beginning of my career. The whole reason why I went into journalism was I wanted to be part of social change and report on it. And uh, and it was great. It was a great long run. And what happened was I had my second child. And once I had my second child, I realized I could not sustain the super long hours in journalism. Uh, sometimes I had 12-hour days. Um, along with a commute, I moved to Silicon Valley. I thought, you know, at, at this point, if I continue this career, I will not be able to raise my children or see them. Uh, and part of it was also my desire to document our cultural uh, culinary history uh, because I felt I was in a unique place as a journalist who enjoyed cooking, who had some amazing recipes handed down to me from my mother and my grandmother. I thought what a great combination it would be to take this culinary knowledge and bring history to it and document the, the recipes because a lot of these recipes are heirloom recipes that have been handed down word of mouth. Uh, as you probably know yourself, mm-hmm. Linda, Maybe when you ask for a recipe, they'll say a little bit of this and a little bit of that with no real measurements. And that drove me crazy. And I wanted to document it all in a cookbook. And that's when it started. It started as a cookbook that turned into the whole video series because of my production background. So I watched it kind of evolve, but like, can you talk a little bit about how you started and and where you've ended up? Sure. So it started off as a cookbook and I thought, you know, I I am burning to make video because that's my background. And I said, let me make a pilot out of my house called Feast in the Middle East, which is a twist on words of peace in the Middle East, because I also think when people gather around the table together and eat together... It promotes peace. Uh, And so I thought it would be a catchy title. And so I shot my first pilot uh, with my friend Dave, who was a cameraman with me at ABC when I was a correspondent there. And we worked on it. And I just put it out there on YouTube. And it was kind of clunky. I mean, it was a great recipe. But I made it into a five-part series with five different videos for Musakhan. What was it? Oh, I saw that. (laughs) And that's a Palestinian uh, chicken and and bread dish that's phenomenal with caramelized onions. But I did it in a five-part series. So it's very detailed. I mean, when you watch it, you're going to learn how to make it. And people have had tremendous success with it. But it wasn't compatible with the YouTube fe- format, which is obviously a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so what happened was at that time, Oprah Winfrey had her own network and she had uh, um, she had asked for submissions to own your own show on her network. And one of the divisions was food. It was cooking. And I thought, let me just enter this on a whim and see what happens and see if I'm on the right path. That's all I want to know. Am I doing the right thing? You, I always ask for signs from God. Like, am I doing the right thing? So literally within uh, three days, I got a call from Mike Burnett Productions over at OWN. They said, you know what? Block out your July. You probably uh, might have to fly over to L.A. because you've been selected as the top 35 out of 10,000 entries. Oh, my God. And I was floored. I was like, oh, my God. And I'm telling you, okay, no travel plans in July. I'm going to reserve it. I want to fly out there. And uh, so I kept waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I found out that I did not make the top 10, uh, which Mm. didn't make me too sad because I felt like I had accomplished something. I got the sign that I wanted. And then I learned that the people that actually made the show, a lot of them had dysfunctional personalities (laughs) and it was going to be a reality show. Mm. So uh, as far as personalities goes, 
I don't consider myself dysfunctional. Um, maybe I'm not reality TV material. I mean, a lot of people think I'm funny, but I'm not like really out there and vindictive. And there was mm-hmm. a lot of catfighting and vindictiveness. That's not my thing. My thing is peace through food, which is the exact opposite. So not th- dramatic enough for the exactly. show. Exactly. Yeah. Save the drama for your mama because mm-hmm. I'm not going to participate <laughs> in that. I no drama. I'm Palestinian. <laughs> I don't need to add any more drama. To my life. I got plenty of drama. <laughs> plenty. As you know, honey, yeah. we, we have plenty of drama, uh, Palestinians. So uh, so that was fine. I just continued on that path. Your career started in TV broadcast. So why didn't you, I mean, have you tried to actually do cooking shows on television? Yeah, that's a great, uh, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Food Network was interested in my work. Uh, they actually asked me to audition for a show of theirs. That for some reason, they thought the America was not ready for Middle Eastern food. So if you're listening uh, on this podcast and you disagree, why don't you let Food Network know you'd like to see Middle Eastern food? Because apparently they think most of their audience is like in middle America and they favor uh, American comfort food. And that's why you see a lot of kind of Southern cooking on Food Network and not so much ethnic cooking, which is, in my opinion, a lot healthier. Uh, so uh, I did go on an audition uh, to New York City. They uh, put me up in a beautiful hotel there, which is very kind of them. And I went and auditioned um, and I ended up uh, losing the position. It was for uh, the show called The Kitchen, which comes on Saturdays. Uh, Katie Lee is now taking that spot, which is the spot Mm. I would have loved to take. But, you know, go Katie Lee. She was a sweetheart when I met her. Uh, So uh, when I had that experience, I thought, you know what? Food Network isn't ready for my food. So I'm going to just forge ahead on YouTube and really reach out to the next generation because, Linda, I'll tell you, uh, my generation and younger, we're not really watching much TV anymore. And I'm starting to see TV as a dinosaur. And I'm really starting to look at new media and putting all of my energy and effort into uh, YouTube and other uh, social media aspects because I really see that's where the future is. And I'm always, I've always been a forward thinker. I've always wanted to be one step ahead. So that's why I've kind of ignored TV. Now, that's not to say Food Network knocked on my door tomorrow and said, we'd like to give you a show. Oh, hell yeah, I'd do it. Sure. I mean, I'd love to. I'd love to get my my recipes out there to all generations. Um, but for the time being, um, I'm just going to focus on what I can, really try to get the word out there about our amazing food and share it with as many people as I can. And I get the all extra benefit of being interact, being able to interact with them on right. a regular basis, which TV is not so much interactive. It's more of a passive experience. So I really enjoy interacting with everyone uh, from all over the world. So that's been a plus. And I think that the quality of the show has definitely increased, like production quality. Are you doing something differently than when you first started? Yeah, we definitely are doing different things. I mean, I've got a great guy, Chris Eldridge of Eldridge Media, and he works with me. We work on lighting and concepts together, and we've, we're definitely tightening, tightening our production. We're making it, you know, as fast and quick as we can, but disseminating as much information as we can in that short period of time so that people really get a sense of how to do each recipe, which is great. And you also provide a verbal or written version of the recipe as well. Yes, um, I do uh, through Curious.com, though. So Curious.com is another platform in which I actually teach Middle Eastern cooking. So if people want to join my my classes on Curious.com, they can do that and get even more step-by-step instruction and recipes. On my blog, I do... Uh, offer like a grocery list for what people need to buy. And I also uh, try, I I have lots of, 
different avenues in which to show my material. So even on Virgin America, my my videos were featured on Virgin yeah. America as part of their in-flight in entertainment, which is really <laughs> exciting because I got a lot of people texting me from their flight saying, hey, I'm watching you make hummus or I'm watching you make musachan uh, or whatever. So it, it was it was a pretty uh, amazing accomplishment, I thought, to actually get my stuff out there on the airlines because it was seen by apparently a million people a month. That is huge. So that was good getting it out there, you know, Great. in the international realm. Well, I definitely think yeah. you're in touch with the future of media. And um, just interestingly, the idea that Middle America isn't ready for Middle Eastern food. It's like in what This is like the easiest way to get Middle America where you see like the largest um, portions of like fear of Arabs like you fear of Arabs exists mostly there and maybe right. in the south and ironic it's not ironic yeah that, you know when they, we have a very soft way of you know educating people and and through food and mm -hmm. we can't even do that so that kind of just shows where we are as a country you you bring up an excellent excellent point you're, you're so on t in tune with with what could be the magical way to bring people together has been shut down and it's really sad yeah and i wish sad. if i wish anyone in, in network mainstream media can listen to you and say you know what let's bring people together instead of causing further divisions between people and and when people don't know about someone they fear that person and you could break down that fear by bringing them in and what way better way to do that than into a dining room where they can one of many right? you know but the easiest most non-confrontational way it's right like, here look at me i cook food too maybe yeah. you'll like it i'm human yeah. i'm yeah. not into violence whatsoever <laughs> that's never been a part of my life and never will be hopefully and so yeah i'm all about making you hummus that's right oh my god it's just sad that we're still at this point where we have to prove that we're not violent but and yeah, we're in a very, yeah. again, a very tense time in the world. And, you know, this is why I think this podcast is so important, like and things like this and all the new media that comes out, because at the same time that social media, it's it's doing a lot of things, positive and negative. And one of the positive things about it is being able to have people who are just regular, who in a low cost way can kind of get their voices out there. Sometimes it seems overwhelming, but I do encourage everyone listening you know, Arab women, Arab men, whatever people living in this country to use these tools and, and express yourself and put yourself out there. Because if we don't take control of the messaging about who we are, we're going to continue to be uh, identified in the way that people who are scared of us identify us. And we're just at that place and we need to take ownership of it. So we have tools and Blanche has done this and she's taken it very far and she'll continue to. And I'm going to try to continue doing this with my podcast. So I just I want to encourage all the young. I know most of our listeners are young and please do that for yourself and do it for all of us. And cumulatively, all those voices together, they will make a difference. Amen, sister. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about making Middle Eastern food. I want to talk yeah. about labeling it Middle Eastern. I've talked about this with other another cook we had on the show, Reem Asil. Yeah. And I don't know if you've heard of her, but you know, she had her slogan is traditional Arab street food made with California love. So she has inserted the word Arab into her food. I like that. Yeah. I like that. You know, I I did consider that. Um one reason why I didn't go to the Arab route is because I have a lot of followers from Armenia, for example, that don't consider themselves Arab. Uh and I I like, you know, 
catering to as broad of a base as I can. Uh, I, I do try to give credit where it is due. So when I'm making muhammara, for example, I make sure and say it's Syrian. When I make uh, musakhan, I make sure to say it's Palestinian. When I make to make when I make a certain kibba, I say it's Lebanese. So uh, we do have because the Syrians, the Lebanese, the Palestinians, the Jordanians, they share so much culinary history. I didn't want to kind of hog it for one ethnic group. And I wanted to make it open to everybody. Uh, but definitely, I see what you mean. Uh, I, I do insert Arab in my descriptions as much as I can when it pertains to Arab. But even one time I put Arabic coffee ice cream, for example, which was one of my recipes. And I got somebody Turkish saying, well, that's not Arabic coffee. That's mm. Turkish coffee. Yeah, so it's just, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's kind of hard because we all share so much culinary heritage with each other. That's true. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, the other conversation we're having, and I just like to have this conversation because there's a reason why a lot of like the restaurants that you see in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. are labeled like either Mediterranean or Middle Eastern. And it's like I think historically speaking, people have shied away from actually using the word Arab. Yes. For fear of and not saying that you're doing that. But right. do you think that do you agree with that? And do you think that th- those things are changing? <sighs> Absolutely. I do see that. I do see that people are afraid to say that they're Arab. Maybe they're afraid of backlash. And especially recently with all of the bad press coming out of the Arab world, I think people are really afraid to admit that they're Arab because a lot of people who are uninformed uh, think that, you know, Arab means ISIS or something crazy like that. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Even Arabic writing. Uh, sometimes if somebody I've, I've read about some people who wear Arabic writing on their shirts or something, get put it like get get questioned by the police or whatever. And I, I just think that's insane. Uh, I do think that we do need to reclaim our roots, whatever it is. I do. I do need like to use the word Arab whenever necessary. Necessary, um, and I do think that there should be a movement where people own their space. So, if they're a Lebanese restaurant, say you're a Lebanese restaurant. If you're a Palestinian restaurant, say you're a Palestinian restaurant. Um, if you know, they don't have to necessarily say Arab, but at least claim the country that you're from, uh, because I feel that if they don't do that, it's going to get lost and it's yeah. going to get claimed by another ethnic group that's not theirs, <laughs> which I see a lot. Yes, <laughs> so. as we know, Israel claims a lot of our foods. Yeah. And actually, um, speaking of Israeli, Israel claiming a lot of Arab-Palestinian foods, we have one that has been claimed by Israel yeah. and co-opted here in the studio. A yeah. very, very nicely. And I'm going to take a picture of this so everyone can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to do a taste test because Blanche is awesome and brought some treats. <laughs> so why don't you just describe what you brought into the studio sure, today? Sure, sure. So what I did was I brought actually two vegan dishes. And I am kind of taking a vegan direction, not entirely, because I know people still love their meat. But I think it's the only system sustainable way to go in our future as our population increases exponentially. We can't expect to uh, kill, you know, two billion cows instead of one billion cows in the future. I mean, we really, I, I always recommend to people, if you're afraid to go vegan, at least have a few vegan days per week. Uh, and so here in front of me, I have uh, hummus with mushrooms. So the mushrooms on top have been sauteed with uh, garlic. And there's a topping of parsley and some toasted pine nuts 
a little bit of olive oil. And this actually is a very popular brunch item in Palestinian households, except traditionally, instead of the mushrooms, they ate lamb. So they eat like, um, like ground lamb ground lamb on top of the hummus, which I find is kind of heavy. I mean, it's great if you're going to go working in the farm for six hours. But if you're like going to go to your nine and five desk job, this is much lighter. And it's just as filling. And it's got a meaty flavor from the mushrooms, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I also brought so I brought you pita chips. You could crunch yeah. it together. The dessert uh, is a chocolate mousse. Now, you might be wondering, well, this is you know, Arab cuisine, Middle Eastern cuisine, how does this fit in? Uh, This is a surprise vegan chocolate mousse uh, made sweet with dates. And dates, as you know, it's it's a culinary staple in the Arab world. And I uh, also have a surprise ingredient in there that makes it super creamy and dairy-free. And that is, should I tell you what it is? Should I tell you well, the surprise? Well, let me, I want to taste it. And I then, think you should taste it first. Yeah. And then, and then we can talk about okay. what the surprise ingredient is. Okay. Um, so for let's sure. do this. Okay, I'm going to taste <laughs> the dessert first. It's yeah. a cute little, like, wine glass, know, it's champagne, <laughs> yeah, whatever, it's little, like, like a plastic one with... Um, the chocolate mousse, the vegan chocolate mousse, and sliced strawberries on top with a little mm-hmm. sprig of mint. So yeah. I'm going to taste it, and I'm going to yeah. see if I can guess. I want you to see if you can guess. And, yeah, when you talked about um, just hummus itself, the word hummus is an Arabic word. It means chickpea. It literally means chickpea in Arabic. So, you know, the, the this hummus has existed for hundreds of years. You know, and so I find it funny if any ethnic group claims to uh, claims it as their own when this has definitely been around for hundreds of years. Uh, And so that's what I also do in my show is that I talk about the Arab origin of the word. I talk about the historical origin, where it came from. Oftentimes, the food has even come from the Ottoman Empire and been passed down, or it's come from Turkey when they invaded the countries, you know. So I, I do like to give credit where it's due. Yeah, time. and not to f- and to give credit, but also I think it's very accurate of you to attribute all of these dishes to the different influences that have been in the Middle East. I mean, we're so more prone to being, you know, claiming foods and being insular and being, you know, drawing those borders. And it's just important to say this is regional. Yeah. Of course, I think when it comes to Israel co-opting, when when I say Israel is co-opting the hummus, is that Europeans came and colonized Palestine and kind of claimed a lot of the indigenous foods and did not give tribute to the fact that, though they didn't bring it from Russia, it came right. from that region and Jews were eating it as well, Arab Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, let's not get into that yeah. right now. Um, <laughs> so, so now that you've tried okay. the mousse, what do you think? So I'm trying to Can I you take one out? more bite. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, I really it. can't. It's avocado. <laughs> I never would have guessed. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't that funny? So I call it mm. avo chocolata. And it's going to be an upcoming video. And I'm going to teach everyone exactly how to make it uh, on my video next month. That's so. amazing. I cannot taste the avocado at all. You can't, right? And it's so rich. It's rich. It's very rich. It's like rich. It's like, wow. Okay, yeah. so. But there's I'm... no added sugar, really. I mean, I just put a tiny, yeah. for this whole serving, I put like a tiny bit of honey. But that's it. Like there's no refined wow sugar at all and that's amazing and you can get everything you need get cream creaminess and sweetness from nature it's a beautiful thing. yeah you can i don't think people realize that exactly so can i taste the hummus though? yes please honey <laughs> what am i i'm sorry i'm, gonna, I'm like I'm i gave you the dessert first yeah, but just go okay. for I it i just want to kind of taste tell, it on the yeah, air you can hear me t- crunch and maybe yeah so and <laughs> and i've had the lamb i mean it is heavy and i i want to talk about 
something you said earlier, but let's taste this and then we'll Yeah, talk about first it. taste and then see. Okay. I mean, I, you, I do get resistance, of course, in what? Arab culture. People think that you're going to die if you don't eat meat. Like oh, literally, especially the old school, old generation people. We're getting to that. <laughs> so this dish is beautiful. Oh, God, I didn't take a picture before I took a bite. Oh, it's okay. I'll take a picture for you. How about that? Um, <laughs> you enjoy your food. I, I could take the picture okay, for you. Okay, but I do want to describe it. It's just one of those like very beautifully uh, presented plates of hummus and it has the mushrooms and the pine nuts and the parsley and damn and so <laughs> let me try it i love that you're like damn <laughs> <laughs> yes i hope you like it i mean i could definitely see eating this for breakfast instead of a heap of ground mm-hmm. lamb you know ground mm-hmm. lamb at 10 o'clock in the morning does right does me no favors i don't know about other Very people delicious. but for me you know no it is and i actually was going to ask you a question about that yeah first of all this is delicious and it basically is just a light do you use the same spices you use to spice the lamb exactly on the i okay. do yeah it's all spice a little bit of salt and pepper mm-hmm. a tiny bit of cumin mm-hmm. you know same same spices you would use for meat use it for vegetables and you'll really see that meatiness shine through even though it's vegetarian it's really cool and I can also so. see you doing this with eggplant. I could see you creating oh, an yeah. eggplant version of the meat, like a ground oh, version. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. yeah. There's actually a dish, a Palestinian dish, where they do eggplant, but they add a bit of yogurt to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fantastic. And they cut it up. It's really good. And they dip it in that so, way. I am one who, okay. over time, has also learned that, you know, I love my Arabic cuisine and I make it. You know, I make it. Sometimes I just I'll make it the traditional way. Mm-hmm. But I am at this point like we aren't farmers anymore. So let's just realize <laughs> exactly. that nobody is doing that much physical labor. I don't even care if you do like TRX or something like <laughs> you're not doing enough like physical activity to eat the way people ate back in the day. Right. I do think that it's time, and I think even this happens in like Latino and Mexican culture where they're trying to modernize their cuisine mm-hmm. and fi- find a way to keep this, the pow of their food and like their, their awesomeness and the soul of the food without, you know, also get being unhealthy and gaining too much weight. Yeah. Generally, it's it's healthy. I mean, there is some. So can you talk about how you have tried to stay true to the Arab cuisine? But how you modernize yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, I think you articulated that so beautifully that you don't want to lose the soul of the cooking because the soul of the cooking is what really uh, causes almost an emotional response when you eat it and you want to remember your childhood. And so a lot of the, I think the soul of the cooking, a lot of the soul from the cooking is by using exceptional ingredients and using uh, great spices. So that's where I start. But then what I do is I like to mix my American heritage with my Arab heritage. So for example, uh, I did something with my brother that was kind of fun that you'll see on my video channel uh, is machos. I call them machos, Middle Eastern nachos, uh, <laughs> where we took the the nacho concept, but we uh, used pita chips instead of tortilla chips. And we used instead of salsa, our traditional cucumber tomato salad, instead of sour cream, I used uh, uh, like cucumber yogurt sauce, and it turned out killer. Like we we went to town on that thing. That thing was slaughtered. <laughs> we were the, the cameraman. It, I, I, there was nothing left. Like within five <laughs> minutes, you know, or uh, bak- baklava, or otherwise known as baklava. Delicious dessert, right? Tons of butter, tons of sugar. You know, you got the amos, the uncles. They're all diabetic. My dad's a diabetic. My aunt's a diabetic. My everyone's dad's a diabetic, got, too. Everyone's got diabetes, <laughs> you know. So I'm like, how do I make these flavors uh, 
diabetes friendly. So I made a balawa granola. So I, tr- I took the, you know, the pistachio nuts and the walnuts from the granola. I added Middle Eastern spices to it. And now you could enjoy it for breakfast. It's low glycemic. It's got oats in it. It's got the nuts and, and it's filling and you could put it over your yogurt and get a similar experience, you know. Um, and then, of course, I mentioned earlier my Arabic coffee ice cream because I love Arabic coffee. And I thought, man, this would make a killer ice cream. And so I made a five ingredient ice cream with very little sugar uh, that you can make with even without an ice cream maker. You freeze it, you take it out, let it soften a bit, and it's gorgeous. You get that flavor of the coffee without all that sugar spike. So I really care about the generation of our people because I do find a lot of them have not just diabetes, they have gout from Mm. uh, overeating meat Mm -hmm. uh, and then alcohol, of course. So I, I definitely advocate a healthy lifestyle. I think we get enough on the networks of people throwing butter and thinking it's cute, throwing mounds of butter and like two cups of sugar for Pem a cake. Paula Deen, yeah, who's right. No longer on the air, <laughs> exactly. And and pe- like, like literally, cakes ask for two cups of sugar in the batter and two cups in the in the icing. I'm like, wow. say what? Really? You want to like get a like just get an IV sugar mm-hmm. IV and just insert it? Mm-hmm. Might as well. I made a ma'mul cake. I took the flavors of ma'mul, which is a date cookie, and I put it in a cake with half the amount of sugar and half the amount of butter, and you could enjoy it with a with a cup of coffee almost as as a breakfast because it tastes delicious and it doesn't give you that sugar spike. Right. You know what I mean? And what so. I what I've like because I don't want to completely eliminate like the way that we made it originally. What right. I will do, I've had to find a way to like how am I going to still eat this food even though I know modifying it is good, okay? Right. But I don't want to forget like what it really really tastes like. And so I think for special occasions for when people come over or something, mm-hmm. I'll I'll cook it like the original way of just course. to like it's a treat, but it's like on a daily basis, if you want to have this food in your life, it's important. And if you don't want to just eat like lettuce every day right. and be boring exactly. or eat grilled chicken, and you can still have these delicious plates of food and actually maintain your you know weight and, and health. Mm-hmm. And so I do urge people to check out your, your, your videos, your channel. Because it is a really unique source. And I've thought, I think many of us have dreamed of um, recording our parents' recipes, but like yes. never did it. Yes. So to me, this is great. <laughs> well, yeah, I, want, I, I don't want our culinary heritage to get lost in the takeout box. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I am documenting everything. I plan on coming out with a cookbook. But right now I'm getting awesome email from people all over the world, uh, not just from women, but from men. I'd say a good 40% of my followers are men, which is really encouraging because I like to see that men are taking ownership of what they're putting into their bodies as well and and being proud of uh, what they're making. And so I get I get emails from people like, uh, you know, somebody from Dubai who's in college saying, I miss the food of my parents and you've helped me make that in my own home or a new bride that's like, you know, I want to make this, but I, I had no idea what to do. So now I go to your channel to follow the steps. And I do include the classics. Don't get me wrong. I do have have a lot of healthy, amazing uh, twists on food, but I do have the classics, and I have a lot of good classics coming up from what Diwali, which is stuffed grape leaves, to Heshwa, which is a kind of a stuffing made with like rice and lamb. I also have I have upcoming ones like Makluba, which is great. The, you know, so I'm not letting go of the classics. I mean, those are really important, right? So or mod, you know, you can, but I think it's nice to learn the modified version of the classics and then the classic classic version if people yes. want to. And yes. you do make them in a way that maybe working people. Can can actually incorporate them into their lives because as we know a lot of the Arab dishes like the ones you just listed are very time consuming yes. and that's what makes it hard in the modern day to 
keep up the cuisine in that form, like not falafel or something, because that's easy. But it's actually not easy if you make it from scratch. But <laughs> but people can pick it up, and it's pretty accurately made. Like if you go to a deli or something. Yeah. But to actually be able to eat malfouf, like the stuffed cabbage. I don't know if you've ever made. Yeah, that. we made. Uh, did. We did a vegan malfouf stuffed oh, you did? cabbage, okay. and it was a big hit. You know, instead yeah. of lamb, we used uh, chickpeas, and I thought, man, is this gonna taste good? And honestly, it almost tastes better than the the original. I'm not even kidding because okay. we. Picked up the herbs and right, spices, right. and it, it's mind-blowing how good it is. I'm not even kidding. You know what I want to say? This is actually for people who might have issues eating rice, but I did once make wara diwali with quinoa. And, and I did use meat, though, so oh, I don't okay. know. Someone I had a rice problem, and they couldn't eat it. So maybe cool. if you just want to be low-carb. You could always sub out quinoa. Yeah. quinoa. Did you like it? Yeah, and I thought it was going to be so bad, and I was totally neglecting his pot. Like, I was making the original <laughs> version, and then I was making, like, a quinoa version. I kept, like not paying attention to it but I did in the end I made it and I felt good. bad because in the end it tasted really good so I actually See? if you wanted to make one of those episodes it would be I, I yeah. recommend it yeah yeah I, I should I, I should do a quinoa swap out thanks for the idea that's Linda. I'm definitely gonna put that in one of my future videos so I'm not sure. gonna make a video so if someone else does it I'll be happy okay so I know you make a lot of the dishes from the Levant the Levant being Syria Palestine Jordan um Lebanon area mm-hmm. You also had that show with the the Persian cook, yeah, Hosare, um, Hosare, and he yeah, was Hossare. making kifta, which actually I'm pretty sure is not Persian, but like it was, is it Persian? Actually, or, yeah. kifta, or they call it kufta. Okay, so they call it kufta. We call it kufta too. It's so. massive. Oh, it's Iran. huge. Okay, so oh, I it's not massive, know that. and they do it different. It's it's differently. It's it's mm. really intriguing how they do it. They make massive kuf- kufta balls. Like oh. we, our kufta balls are like small. They'll make it like meatball the size of a soccer ball. Okay, so they're very. He'll, he'll put like kufta around. A, he did kufta around a turkey for Thanksgiving. Wow. <laughs> Could you imagine? No. You slice <laughs> the kufta ball, and inside's a turkey. <laughs> That's really I was interesting. Like, oh no, you didn't. Like it's See, really interesting. Their different interpretation of a similar dish. You that's know? interesting. Yeah. yeah, and I don't think a lot of us realize that there's a lot of overlap between the. There is. We we think there are, but there we don't really realize it. Like we don't yeah. actually know. Arabs, the overlap. Yeah, they don't do hummus, but they do kofta and they do kebabs mm-hmm. really well. And that's part of their culinary heritage. Mm-hmm. And so that's another reason why I wanted to interview them was because I know that they have a very rich culinary history and I wanted to kind of tap into that. Mm-hmm. And that's where my Feast of the Middle East comes in too, mm-hmm. is I'm like, you know, I'm not just going to limit it to the Levant. Let's branch out to right. Iran and see what they're doing over there. Exactly. You know what I mean? So then my other question is the Gulf countries, the Arab mm-hmm. Gulf countries, are you trying to make dishes like I don't know how different their dishes are you know uh, you bring up a good point because I did get some mail from some some intriguing email from like Dubai from the United Arab Emirates oh we do it this way or we do it that way I, to be honest, that's one thing I'm really not familiar with at all. And I would love to go on like a, a cooking tour of Dubai mm-hmm. and document it and bring it back because I know they have some really outrageous, uh, um, unique uh, identifiers of their cooking that I'm not. But ironically enough, my top, I would say my one of my top audience comes from United Arab Emirates. Oh, wow. Interesting. When I look at my, my inflow of like who's looking at my stuff – I'd say that like the top twenty percent's coming out of there. Wow! So whatever I'm making, it's resonating with them for some reason. Well, then, yeah, yeah. definitely. I mean, I think <laughs> as an Arab who's yeah. born in America, Palestinian and Jordanian, I'm so familiar with the Jordanian, Palestinian, Lebanese, Syrian cuisine. Right. I'm always curious to know what like Egyptians and I, I get ideas. I know they eat food, whatever. Mm-hmm. But what Egyptians or North Africans or the Gulf Arabs are eating? So it would be interesting if you 
kind of did some dishes. I know you're Definitely. also very comfortable with the ones that I'm comfortable with. Of so. course. Of but course. as like a way of educating Arabs about each other's food, it might be interesting to do some episodes. Absolutely. And yeah. one another country I wanted to touch on eventually is Morocco too because mm-hmm. I, I, I think I love all of their different tagines yes. and, and all of the spices that goes into that and the couscous. Uh, so definitely I, I want to explore that. So uh, if in an ideal world, right, I, I would get to travel to all of these places yeah. and like go into their kitchens and and bring it all to to all of you guys, mm-hmm. so you could see exactly what they're doing behind the scenes. Because uh, it and they, and yeah, Morocco and Tunisia, they're putting a lot of fruit into their food, mm-hmm. a lot more than berries. We, do. we don't. Oh yeah, berries, berries and, and dried apricots, and they put dates in their savory food, mm-hmm. which is not really done so much in the Levant. We mm-hmm. like to keep our savory, savory, and our sweet, sweet. You know yeah, what I'm saying? We really do. We do. <laughs> we like overdo it. Like we drench baklava and baklava in and syrups, like a ton of syrup, yeah. right? And then and we then, have like olives and savory. All but yeah, yeah we like completely two tons separate of salt, it. like salty. Yeah. I mean, they love salt. <laughs> they yeah, don't back down with the salt. Lemon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what other listeners or where are your other li- other listeners coming from um, in your stats? So a lot of them come, like I told you, from United Arab Emirates. Uh, I get a good chunk from the United States. I'd say a good 50 percent from the United States. And the rest comes from the Levant, which is kind of funny because mm. I'm like, you guys know your stuff. <laughs> but hey, they don't. But they I, maybe it's falling by the wayside, too. Maybe they're modernity. eating a lot of fast food. Yes. Right? I think in modernity, like even my cousins, they're not my all my aunts can cook really great food, but my cousins who live in Jordan kind of go out a lot. And mm-hmm. I don't think they are holding on to necess- – I mean, they, they're they are taking for their mothers for granted. I think all of us do that. I think so. Um, and also a lot of men are interested in actually learning how to cook now that, like, women don't aren't necessarily expected all the time mm-hmm. to cook. I mean, right. we're kind of slower on in the Arab world on that trend. But in the U.S., like, I feel like there's a lot more men cooking now. Oh, totally. So- yeah, they it's awesome. can't rely on their wives to be making those dishes, so exactly. they have to step up their game. Exactly. Yeah. I, well, and the next country in line, I would say, is India, which I'm really oh, flattered about because I think Indian food is so intricate and complicated mm-hmm. and difficult. And I love Indian food, but uh, I think they're really interested in Middle Eastern food, Arabic mm-hmm. food. Uh, so I'm getting a lot of feedback from people in India and Europe. Yep. Yeah. Very so, cool. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Okay. Well. Is there anything else you want to let your listeners, our listeners know? Do you want to let them know where they can find sure, your... Sure, sure. So uh, in terms of all of my videos, uh, to get them all free from one place, go to youtube.com slash Blanche TV. So that's B-L-A-N-C-H-E TV. I have a blog where I give the backstories to a lot of these recipes at feastinthemiddleeast.com. And if you want to get a more intense tutorial of my cuisine, you could go to Curious.com and look up Feast in the Middle East. And then, of course, social media. So Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Blanche Media, B-L-A-N-C-H-E Media. And I put a lot of recipes there on a day-to-day basis that I don't have time to make videos on. So if people want inspiration on a regular basis, I post something almost every day, especially on Instagram at Blanche Media. I'm always posting recipes there just to kind of inspire people, try a different ingredient, try a new recipe, give them a twist. Uh, keep things interesting for them. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure hanging out with you, Linda. It has been. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Arabiyat. Our theme song is by Muqata'a. The track is called Ahyat. You can follow him on soundcloud.com slash B-O-I-K-U-T-T. You can also email us at arabiyat.podcast.com. That's A-R-A-B-I-Y-A-A-T dot podcast at gmail.com. Please follow our social media sites. Get our updates on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash podcast. 
and Twitter. And our handle is at Arabiyat. Please like and share and engage with us. We, once again, would love to hear your feedback. We need your feedback because I can't do this by myself. Until next time, this is Linda Khoury with Arabiyat. 